here we go. Hi, everyone. How are you? Hope you're doing well. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. It is uh, the 12th of January, 2023, and it is time for episode, I think, 144 of my live chat. Now, we did 144 last week, and it didn't work because um, people just walked in on us. It was crazy, but I'm finally back at home, and so here we are. Let me make sure everything sounds good with my intrepid producer, Othello. See what he has to say. I think everything is good. Let's make sure. One never knows. One never knows. Um, <clears throat> all right. So what we'll do is, yeah, everything sounds good. Okay. So we'll go for about an hour and a half today. Uh, we'll go for about an hour on the free questions. I put up a thread in the community section at youtube.com slash Luke Thomas every week. You guys fill it up and then we react to it. And then if you get paid questions in, which by the way, we'll get to the ones from last week as well. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of them, but whatever they are, we'll get to them. And then if you have any today, we'll get to those after the hour of free questions. You are certainly under zero obligation to pay for any of them. But if you want to, we'll give it priority. Certainly not exclusivity. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that's it for me to start things off. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Shall we? Uh, okay. So one bit of housekeeping news, I'm going to put this up on the screen. Now, if you're listening on the podcast, you won't really get much out of this, but you can go to pod-live. BC and I are going to the UK. We're going to London. If you're watching now on YouTube, you can see right there on the screen the QR code for tickets. There's not a ton left. There are some, but there's not a ton left. We haven't even announced our guest yet, which I think we're going to be announcing either this week or next. Um, so please come see us. This is a one-time opportunity to come be a part of the experience well mk is coming to the uk i don't know how many times that's going to happen so if you want to come hang out with us and see us and then meet some of the guests and everything else we're going to do pod-live.com if you're listening on the podcast and if you're watching on youtube right now uh, we'll be at king's place in london february 8th i bought my plane tickets yesterday very excited about that um so yeah so come see us in the uk all right all right put that out of the way there all right without further ado um Let's get this party started, shall we? All right, so let's go to our first set of questions. I think we got them ready here, just like that. Yes, here we go. Luke, I recently received a concussion for the first time. Sorry to hear that. It was a strange experience. Hard to come to words, vision lagging, coordination issues for a whole week. Have you ever seriously gotten your bell rung? What was your experience? Um, yeah, I've had my bell rung a few times. I don't know if I've ever had a concussion. Let's see. I a couple times in training, um, I got put out. Not one time. Well, okay. So, if you're counting chokes, there's been more than that. But if you're just putting away the chokes, we're just talking fisticuffs. Let's see. Definitely two times in training that stood out. Maybe a couple more. Definitely two good times where um, I think one time I had to get woken up. Another time I got real rocked. But I never. Um, I never. Except for the, I mean, listen, yeah, I obviously took time after getting put out once, but it wasn't like a terrible one. It was more like a cumulative. And in any case, um, you know, I took time off from training. I, I never really messed with my brain. I, to point out, I can never, I never really had any kind, from what I can tell, I never had multiple issues with it beyond what I've just described. I mean, these are just a couple of incidents and one more serious than the other. And I didn't have any long, the point I'm trying to make is I didn't really ever have long-term headaches. I didn't have any of this vertigo. I didn't have any of the real symptoms that one would associate with 
concussion symptoms. I, I just, I, I never really was there. I also one time got flash KO'd. I mean, really the, all the time I've been flash KO'd. I also one time got flash KO'd um, and then woke up when I hit the ground when I was robbed once in uh, Lawton, Oklahoma. <laughs> you got, I got, I got, uh, I got robbed and beat up once when I was a kid in Lawton, Oklahoma. Boy, Lawton, Oklahoma, the land that time forgot. There's never a good reason to go to Lawton. Not even if you have family, just ask them to leave. But in any case, from my dad grew up, if you can believe it. Um, so I had family there at the time. There's no one there anymore. But um, yeah, so I got that one time. But I guess really in general, no, I've not had a major issue in the way you're describing. Quite, quite lucky. Quite lucky. Um, I've been in a couple of car accidents. None of them great, but none of them too serious to the point where that was an issue. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't really have much uh, experiential expertise on this, unfortunately. All right, we'll go back to it. Surprised no one asked you about Armin Saryukin on the last live chat. We, we talked about it a lot on MK. What do you think about his impressive grappling showcase over Demir Ismogulov and his future in the division? Again, I think we've been over this a couple of times. Uh, so I'll make this relatively quickly. The, the best thing I can say for that is in, uh, he definitely exceeded my expectations. But I, I don't know, man. Like, I've got a bit of a hang-up with it. I, I And I think we talked about this with – I think we made a comparison between him and somebody else last week. Maybe it was Toporia. I, I don't quite remember. But listen, long story short, this Magulov retired after this fight. I don't quite know why. I don't give a clear sense of it. He, he hasn't described it. We don't really know what issue, medical or otherwise – he had to stop for we can all speculate but we just don't know but i did not think that that performance was characteristic of of his uh true ability yes and i've been high i i am more excited about saryukin than i ever was ismogulov but i just thought ismogulov was stylistically going to be a bit of a stick in the mud in that fight and it wasn't that case so you can get around it but this is the point i want to go back to when saryukin has someone really overmatched he's just so you know, there's just nothing they can really do. But when they have good defense, when they can resist position, and when they can wrist uh, hand fight, when they can uh, continuously move to their feet, they don't accept position, right? So that there has to be this consistent display of control by Soryukin. The ground and pound goes away. He hasn't really found a way to, to 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 weave that in. And I think that that's going to be an issue as he moves up the ranks. So it's like, dude, he looked really good in this performance. Like, I'm very much nitpicking, and I understand that. But I'm not thinking about who he can beat now. I'm thinking about how do we get him to his ultimate place, and once we get him to his ultimate place, what will that look like, and how could he leverage those tools against him? And I think if you just push him up, because what he has is good enough, listen to that word, good enough, that term anyway, I think that's a mistake. It's just a mistake. He's very, very, very talented, super talented. We're so lucky that he's here. He's going to beat very good fighters along the way, but there are definitely pieces to his game, given how good he is already, that could be much better. That would make a massive difference in really key portions of his offense as it gets to the top of that division. So he looked great. He looked great. Um, but in general, not enough ground and pound when the opponent has good enough resistance. And you saw that cost him a little bit in the Gamrot fight. It didn't cost him here because there was, it was his force was too overwhelming. But again, as he gets to the top of that division, you know, there needs to be more along the way. And it can be slower too. Like he doesn't have to uh, rush positions or, you know, end up in these scrambles. Um, I just think there's a few ways of tying things up and letting it go that would really, really elevate his game. It's already so good. But uh, but for the next stage of opponents, I think that some things really need to be worked on. 
Someone asks, Luke, I remember some time ago you said Spain is one of the best countries to live in. What other countries in your top five you'd like to visit and stay for a while? Top five I'd like to visit. I mean, um, Australia and New Zealand have been on the list. Uh, I've never been to that part of the world. Uh, I, well, as a kid, I went to Japan, but that doesn't really count. Um, so you're speaking as an adult. Yeah, certainly Southeast Asia, Australia and New Zealand would be big on the list. There's a couple of European countries I've never been to that I would like to go to, but nothing really. I, in general, I've been to the parts of Europe I want to see. I mean, uh, that's not true. I've never been to Italy. I would like to go to Italy. That one's on the list. Um, been to Canada. Canada's great. Um, maybe Brazil. I'd like to go to Brazil. Nothing too special, like all the parts that you guys have seen. Um, I did a lot of traveling in the Middle East as a kid and a teen, so like I kind of scratched that off the list. I don't really have a ton of desire to go to Russia right now, given the, the relationship between the countries. Um, and yeah, there would be parts of Southeast Asia I'd like to go to, as I mentioned, and then uh, Korea would be a big one I want to I go see. I want to go see South Korea. I've heard really good things. I'd love to go see Seoul. Um, I want to go see Tokyo at night, that kind of thing. But other than that, I, yeah, like a buddy of mine, uh, a friend of mine, he's American, and uh, his wife is from South America as well. Um, they're going to retire in Spain. They're going to retire in Spain. They loved it so much that they're like, yeah, fuck it, we're going to move back. And like cost of living there in, I think they're going to live in Barcelona. Uh, you know, Barcelona is an incredible city. Um, you know, fuck the team, but the city's great. And yeah. Um, I, I, you know, Barcelona is a world-class city and it's much cheaper than where we live. Uh, my buddy lives here in DC with me as well. Like where we live is insane in terms of its costs. So he could like live for like half the costs basically in, in Barcelona and uh, retire there. And I think he's going to, um, so, you know, everyone's got their own preferences and their own reasons for liking things or whatever. But for me, Spain's about where it's at. All right. Luke, how would you rate the 2020 year for organizations besides the UFC? Um, I, I don't think that they had much of a different year relative to UFC than they had in any kind of previous year. Now, 2023 feels like it might be a little bit different, right? Because PFL has this Jake Paul thing going. They're trying to go all in on this pay-per-view effort whether they'll be successful or not, I don't know, but that's at least worth keeping an eye on. The Ali Act is going to be back in circulation this year. We'll see what happens with that. We'll see if there's any movement on the court case. Uh, Bellator is going to CBS, obviously the first time since Strikeforce did. One is making their U.S. debut May 5th in Colorado. So in terms of the bigger players on the outside, which you're asking, I actually feel like 2023 is going to be a pretty consequential year. We're going to see, like, can Be like Bellator... Um, you know, it's not, uh, I don't know how to say it's very, very like, relative to the UFC. It's not a popular product, right? Like they've got work to do to get popular. Now being on CBS is a huge boost. Um, but like, and if they do great ratings, I think CBS is going to be happy to bring them back. But what if they do poor ratings? Would CBS have them back? I don't know. I don't know. Seems pretty consequential, right? Considering you combine that with Ariel's report that they may be on the not chopping block, but they may be up for sale, right? So you put two and two together there, it could be big, could be big in a number of different ways. Or it could be that they do great ratings on CBS and they decide that Paramount does, that they want to pull them off Showtime and put them on CBS Sports Network or regular CBS. I mean, who knows? Any number of different ways that this could go, right? So like that seems pretty big. 
the so one trying to make inroads through its Amazon deal through putting on U.S. shows. Can they really put a footprint here um, in the biggest market currently in most lucrative market, frankly, in, in MMA? Can they actually do that? We shall see. We shall see. They have their work cut out for them. And the PFL, right? They are going chips in the middle. Let's see if we can get this pay-per-view thing going and really like make a bid for A-list premier talents. Um, can they get that going? So like to me, 2023 is going to be, 2023 is always going to be any, any year with the UFC in the state that it's in, right? No, no matter what the number is, just given the UFC's market position, any year that they're in is going to be reasonably interesting one way or the other. Some better than others, but it's always going to be where the vast majority of the best MMA is going to take place just by virtue of, again, who they have on their roster. And 2022, I thought was fine for Bellator. I thought it was fine for PFL. I did think that one made some inroads in 2022. It seemed to me like officially in 2022, one became the hardcore darling of best show outside of UFC. Now, your own personal preference can challenge that. You can have a conversation about roster versus roster. One's roster is very different than Bellator's roster since Bellator is all in on MMA. And really, one is more of a martial arts promoter than strict MMA. Um, and then PFL had, I think, a fine year, but they had the, the pay-per-view and it didn't really go well. But they kind of knew that. And, you know, there's it was fine, basically, for the satellite organizations, as I call them. 2023 is a different story. Uh, okay. If Chimaev moves up to 185 and wins the title and Shavkat Rachmanov wins the belt at welterweight, who do you see having more title defenses between the two? Probably Chimaev, just because 185 is going to be an easier division in which to win. Now, at the top, that's not really true, but once you get through the top two, three guys... Whitaker, Izzy, and Pereira, and I do think Hamzat has a lot of advantages over Pereira. Um, you know, I don't, I don't. If if he, we're, we're positing a world where he's already won the title, right? So um, he would have beaten one of the three, I suppose. Um, and then the question goes on. Uh, I think there would be more depth at one seventy for Rachmanov to face. Yes, but it's hard for me to see Hamzat going three and zero against Pereira, Izzy, and Whitaker. Right, right. In general, I think that's probably true. Um, but, you know, let's just sort of, let's let's make up a situation, right? We're going to make up one. What if Chemayev beat Whitaker to get the title, right? At that point, you'd be like, uh, you know, just stylistically, he would be a terrible matchup. If, if that were true, right? We're living in a world where he's faced and defeated Whitaker and not controversially, right? Like, let's say it was very clear. You know, you wouldn't like the other two guys' chances against him. But if he does it beating Pereira, it's hard to know exactly how he might match up against uh, Whitaker or, uh, to a lesser extent, Izzy, but certainly Whitaker, right? Whitaker seems to be the wild card there because of his well-rounded ability. Uh, but in general, divisionally in general, um, I would say Rachmanov might have more defenses. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, let's see here. Luke, some context. I'm a soccer coach, professional by day, and MMA co content consumer, casual by night. Okay, I got totally caught up in your videos on feints and the efficiency of it in fights. Actually, so caught up that I have translated it and implemented it into my game model and exercises. Not only for the individual, but mostly, uh, most importantly, excuse me, on a structural level, the importance of occupying spaces and drawing opponents out of their line, 
wanted pressing versus unwanted pressing is so important in soccer. And I found gold both in your semantics on the topic and in your take on feints and space. On that note, now that I have disclosed my personal crossover, what good and surprising crossover might there be, if any, excuse me, if MMA is one of the two sports? What good and surprising crossover might there be if MMA between MMA and soccer? I'm not, you'd be better equipped to tell me than I would be equipped to tell you. Um, but yeah, like you, you see the similar concepts work across sports. I mean, it's what a crossover is in basketball. You fake like you're going this way, you get them to lean, and then you go the other way. I mean, it's a very simplistic version of it, but it's the same kind of thing. Um, you know, a step back isn't exactly the same thing because they're kind of following you. This is about creating misdirection, but making them think one thing and then doing another is central to any kind. I mean, think about any route you run in professional football, American football, right? With, less so like a, just a go route, but like a wheel route, a curl route, any of these routes that you can run um, where you're just, you're moving and in an instant you fake something and then go in another direction, whatever the, the person's trying to do, or you stutter step and then go, you're just trying to create separation, but you do that based off of making them react to something that they think is happening. And in fact, something else is happening. And so fainting is just the very particular way in which this is executed among others. There are other ways to do it in combat sports, but yes, in soccer, like keeping, keeping whatever formation you want to big, uh, make like, uh, Zidane used to be big on on the diamond for for Madrid for a long time, um, or here un wanted pressing versus unwanted pressing, where essentially you're just going to create gaps and spaces, and you're going to make them not be in the position they're supposed to be by tricking them into doing something that when you're actually doing the opposite, you're making them react to it. So beyond those parallels, I don't have much to add to the the game of soccer, but it's just true in all of sports. It's anytime, anytime, really. Uh, you know, I guess it's not true in darts or something where one person is just competing against the elements and another person's competing against the elements. And it's just this sort of game of accuracy. But anytime there is man-to-man -man coverage, anytime there is person versus person, any 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 time um, where they, two people are facing off in any kind of direct um, contest, misdirection, faking, fainting, all of it, all of it can be beneficial. You just have to find the right application, the right setup, the right execution. All of that has to be practiced. I've told you guys this. Um, you know, the better fainters in the game have told me that they spend, they'll spend time where they're shadow boxing in the mirror and whatever they want to do. They'll do that just fainting, just fainting, not throwing any strikes, just working on becoming a salesman of something that's not happening. I need to sell you on the idea that I'm going to do X and then do Y. The trick is, no matter what the application, unwanted or unwanted pressing, creating separation in a route running for football, um, you know, getting someone to react to something kind of way, even in, it, it, by the way, fainting is big in amateur wrestling as well. All these faint, fainted shots, getting reactions, and when someone comes up, blasting through in a double, like there's, it's massive in that sport. It, it looks different than it might look in striking sports, but it's big. Um, and so... What you have to work on is the salesmanship of it. It has to be convincing. You have to be an actor uh, in, in that sense. And the better ones are extremely good actors. And there's all kinds of ways to do it, right? That's the idea. That's the idea. Uh, let's go here. 
Look, we all know in the last 20 years, mixed martial arts styles and techniques have evolved and become better than what they were. In your opinion, what aspects, styles, or techniques in MMA largely remain stagnant in that over the years, there really hasn't been much evolution to it, i.e. leg kicks, grappling, clinch work, BJJ, striking. Currently, the Dagestan style of wrestling seems to dominate. What big innovation is next? It's a great question. So I've lived through a few changes. I remember when the guillotine was big, and then it kind of fell out of favor and then came back. Um, for a long time, mount was out of favor. And not that the back was out of favor, but people weren't as actively hunting it as they were before, and they didn't have great avenues to it. Now, again, it used to be, dude, I'm telling you, when I came up, the way it was taught was you start from guard, you go to half, then you go to side, then you go from side to mount, mount to back, right? That was the progression. But, like, you didn't go to mount until you went to side or half first. And now there's just any number of ways where all of this is bypassed um, either straight to the back or straight to the mount, depending on the, on the situation. So like the mount has made very much a comeback, a massive comeback that, that I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was, but I'd say around 2013, 2014, the mount just felt like it was a lost art. It felt like it was a lost art. I've said that before, but now it's not so true. Um, so I've seen submissions go in and out of favor. I've seen positions, even dominant ones, but how to get there, not really go in and out of favor, but because there was an evolution in the game, there was a better better route to get there. So that, that wasn't just an in and out of favor. That was an elevation of technique. Um, again, takedowns. We don't, we're not trying to put someone flat on their back. We're trying to get them planting on their hands. You know, you get around their hands, you get, you get behind their elbows, and you're in business, folks. You can take their back. So this whole idea of just creating back exposure to get the takedown or to get to these positions, that's been a big change. Um, I'd say one thing that we just don't see as much of um, as we used to, not like it's a major drop-off, and I don't expect a major increase because people just don't really want to fight on these terms very often. But the clinch, I feel like, I'm not going to say is a lost art, but... Um, when guys were coming over from like straight tie boxing or, you know, heavy tie boxing influence in their training, you did see people mix it up in the clinch a little bit more. And you do see it a lot of times with dirty boxing, but it seems very quick and very transitional. And you understand that, right? You either want to be all the way in or all the way out. Um, and if you're going to be all the way in, you know, someone's just going to level change for a takedown. It almost requires either one skill set to be very dominant over the other or both to consent to that position. And you rarely generally achieve it under those very narrow circumstances. But, but in general, what I would say is that like, I think that, you know, and, and by the way, I've, uh, I'm dying to, to watch it, but I know Matt Brown has a whole seminar on um, the art of clinch fighting and all the things you can do in it. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to check that out. The clinch one is a big one, but the things you mentioned, leg kicks, the leg kicking to the to the calf has been a big one and how frequently they're set up and what they're used for beyond just punishment themselves and how it sets up facilitates movement and other feints and other strikes and other punches. Um, that's been massive growth. You wrote grappling, I'm not sure what you mean. Clinch work, you did right, so that's one. Um, and striking and so forth. I also think that the next big evolution is, I think you're going to see more guys like Adrian Yanez where they're, uh, and I think Max kind of sort of is the blueprint for this, but they're going to evolve in different directions beyond it. Guys who are primarily boxing-based strikers who they do tend to get hit a lot, but they're very clever with their boxing setups. They use different kinds of boxing um, ideas around defense to um, keep themselves in boxing range, and they bring that into MMA, and then they have this vast, once, once they can get comfortable setting that up and like see what's coming, 
they're very, very good at then leveraging their boxing skills offensively in those positions, you know, and obviously Yanez can do more than that. He's got head kick finishes already in the UFC, but you see what I'm saying? Like that kind of thing, I think you're going to get more of. So um, clinch fighting, boxing in MMA as a style and then like a workable style. And then like the better ones are going to be like doing that without taking as much damage. You're going to settle into those positions even quicker. Um, those are probably in the next year or two, the big things that I'm going to be paying attention to beyond the things that are already in motion back exposure and blah 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 interesting question here uh look have you ever considered having chuck mendenhall as a mainstay on morning combat i mean he's pretty close or do you just ask him to join on ventures outside of the main show he seems to be a perfect middleman between you and bc he may even stop you from beating bc to a pulp one day when he interrupts you too many times yeah we love chuck uh the more we can get i think we just booked him again today for we're going to be in studio next wednesday next wednesday and he's going to be there with us because we're going to do a preview um with him so like chuck's all in in terms of like it's like it's not like we don't want to give chuck work we like chuck a lot but it's like i don't think mk is broken so it doesn't need to be fixed in that i mean there's always things to get better at don't get me wrong but like it's not like we're sitting around like what's the one thing that would take this to the next level and uh it's like adding a third voice i mean i do think adding a third voice particularly chuck's in all the right circumstances does elevate it but like of day-to-day show to show especially if we're doing three-way shows like remotely where it's three people trying to talk over each other it just becomes a bit of a challenge it actually would actually make things more um if we were to, if we were in studio then maybe that's a different consideration because we don't have anything but nice things to say about chuck but i think just given the vast amount of remote work and like now bc and i are kind of a compare on all the showtime championship boxing prelims together like where would chuck fit in on that so like it becomes weird there so like would I like more of Chuck on MK? No doubt about it. But do I think we need to blow up MK and then make it a three-man like, uh, show Monday, Wednesday, Friday to get it to someplace else? I just don't think we need to do that. Um, so for that reason, I would say, you know, let's get more Chuck, but we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Look, I wanted to ask you about how Sean Strickland has the success that he does, specifically with striking defense. It honestly puzzles me. I used to box for a few years in my teens, and many of the things Strickland does would have gotten my head torn off on my coach. Yeah, like standing upright, parrying with the rear hand, not moving your head with the punches, fainting only with the jab, right? Pulling your head back in a straight line, although you can do that on a counter, on a pull, on a pull counter too. But um, I'm not trying to diminish his abilities. He's talented. I'm just confused. Yeah, I mean, here's what I would say. Listen, you can go and definitely nitpick his style and say like these are things to the point like especially the rear hand parrying although he does lead hand parry sometimes too um and by the way it's not like true like you can't ever parry with the rear hand there could be circumstances where that's okay but as a general rule obviously it's a very bad idea uh, I, I think a couple things one um he's got quick reactions right he has like a he's a he's a for the most part again the Pereira fight notwithstanding in general has been a pretty good judge of distance in general, pretty good about having high volume and then making quick reactions to judge exactly what he needs to do positionally for, to, for the most part, stay out of trouble. And so he has this sort of suppressive fire aspect to his offense that kind of lowers the, the volume. He throws just enough in the last three fights. He hasn't done a lot of leg kicks, but prior to that, he has shown a capacity to throw a lot of them, when the time was right so like that's always a thing where he's disrupting the other guy's rhythm so there's this rhythm disruption sometimes there's pressure with it um there's overall activity and then with the quick quick reactions he's able to have on top of it whether they're technical or not he just has sort of like a for the most part with with very clear exception 
But in general, he's real good about making very quick movements, quick decisions, quick pulls, quick covers, whatever, where it may not be technical, but it's enough to keep him safe. The other person can't quite mount a sustained offense as a consequence, and then now he's throwing on top of it. It actually becomes a bit of a problem. Now, the thing you might notice is if he gets older and then slows down and has, still has some of these issues where he's not throwing as much, he doesn't. he's not as quick to make the reactions, the drop-off might be precipitous. Yes, that is true. Uh, or at least that is something that could be very true. We'll have to see how it goes, how much longer he competes, blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm, Tuki tried to get in. But in general, what I would say is that those things are keeping him safe. He has a suppressive fire effect. Um, he, he makes quick reactions that generally keep him safe. He does a good job of throwing enough volume to keep their offense low and to disrupt them. There's just a lot that's moving in that direction that keeps him safe, right? In, in general, in general. Um, someone's asking me about classical philosophy. Is it just my appreciation just limited to Aristotle? Um, in general, I wouldn't say it's limited to Aristotle, but Aristotle of the classics was the one I studied the most. So in a sense, the answer is yes, but not entirely. Um, two Francis questions here. Uh, I like this question. I want to answer it first. Oh, from Rustic Tribe Design. These people are great. Uh, hi, Luke. You've been very candid about the difficulties you've experienced as an MMA journalist. During such times, how do you maintain a consistent drive? What do you use as your true north to continue the journey as opposed to walking away? Well, I thought about walking away a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> so... Not like I haven't thought about walking away. Uh, I, I've definitely thought about it more. I mean, sh shit, I thought about it last year, um, quite candidly. So, you know, those are definitely things I, I, I've i dealt with. And also, like, difficulties. Let's be clear about what difficulties means here. Like, I'm not hanging shingles on a roof in July, right? So we're talking about difficulties. We might be talking, like, specific career frustrations, but not, you know. I'm not out here hauling garbage on the back of a truck or something in, in sub-zero weather, right? That's not what I'm doing. So um, how did I maintain a consistent drive? I didn't maintain a consistent drive. I My, my drive probably wavered at times. Um, but like in general, to the extent I've experienced any frustration, how I've pushed through with it is that um, one, didn't have a better option at the time to do anything else. So you just kind of keep going. Two, um, in terms of like having opinions that seem outside of the mainstream of the rest of the MMA audience, uh, not that I see that my answers are always correct, but I think that the community would be better served in general from having a diverse set of voices rather than everyone championing the exact same thing and saying it over and over again. And that leads to inevitably a lot of pushback comes like I'm, I'm going to have ideas or beliefs that are not in lockstep with a lot of people, but it's very hard for me to believe that like me contributing a very different opinion in some way disservices MMA. In fact, I think in general, whether my opinion is right or wrong, every individual time, um, having a viewpoint that the majority of folks would not give much oxygen to, um, by virtue, I think of their own political inclinations or whatever else puts me in a position to at least contribute a different perspective, whether it's on not so much politically related with PEDs, for example, or, you know, you name it. I don't have the rose-colored glasses uh, on my 
covering my face about the beauty of the industry. I think in general, the industry is pretty gross, pretty gross, not entirely. And that there are some great people within it, but I think what a lot of people want is to cheerlead everything and to be great and, and to say nothing but nice things. And my inclination has always been to do the opposite, whether that's been good for me or not. My inclination is always to sort of point out the things that need to be better or aren't great, or could be a problem down the road or whatever. And that is a, that is by definition a very pessimistic angle, but I think over time, you just in your orbit, you need someone like that. Not that they're always going to be right, and I certainly have been wrong a million times, and will be wrong a million times in the future. It, in general, though, I found if you just have cheerleaders around you, your performance will certainly be better because you're be in some ways anyway because you're being lifted by positivity. But that positivity turns into um, fraudulence when it's married with not examining things because you have a lovely appreciation of it. Uh, and so, you know, you need someone to show you how when you pull up a rock, there's worms. You need that, actually. You need that. Whether I'm that guy or not, you can decide. You can decide. But that there needs to be somebody doing that in every industry, yes. And you don't do that because you want to be well-liked. You do it because it's valuable. That, like, somebody has to do it. Not just somebody. Several people. A bunch. A lot need to do it. And there's just not much... I've said this before, like MMA doesn't want self-examination. It doesn't want to look itself in the mirror. It doesn't ever, ever, ever want to admit its mistakes. It doesn't want to ever have to pay for the things that it does. It doesn't want to do any of those things. Um, it doesn't want to reflect on those problems. It doesn't want to really, it doesn't, ever, all it wants is for the people inside the industry to backslap it. And I just think that um, you're not, you're going to actually going to get a better MMA long-term if you have competing voices some that are doing the cheerleading when it's important and some that are doing the critical evaluation when that is important. Uh, okay. Helawani said, Francis has not re-signed with the UFC yet, but likely will. If he doesn't re-sign and his contract expires, does the UFC immediately strip him of the title? Yes, because it's a, the UFC owns the title, right? So in boxing, there's no top rank champion. There's no uh, PBC champion. There's no golden boy champion. The sanctioning bodies control it because they are forbidden by law, by law, from having their own belts. It's amazing to me that the law literally forbids boxing promoters from having their own titles, which, by the way, they would do in an instant if they could. Um, and folks are like, yeah, it's kind of great that like there's no interference. I'm like, wait a second. On the other side of the, of the equation, <laughs> it's such a problem that they are legally forbidden from doing it. And yet, over here, you think it's like a structural advantage? Okay. Um, another person asking, like, hey, I'm surprised more people aren't discussing the possibility that Francis won't be the same guy when he returns. Very possible. Very possible. Very possible. He didn't have a fully complete skill set to begin with, so it's not like... Uh, you know, he's obviously later in life as well. So it's not like you were expecting the world from him. Um, and even if he doesn't get any better and is exactly the same, he just just didn't get better, didn't get worse, just was that guy. That's still enough to beat just about everybody. Um, but your question is, if he, is he, if he, he going to be a lesser version then? We will have to see. We will have to see. I tend to think he's probably going to get really good care and that shouldn't be the case. Um, but it's not a bad question. Same question you can ask about John Jones. Is he going to be the same guy? I mean, he's definitely going to be different, right? He's going to a new weight class. By definition, different, much bigger. Is he going to be the same guy? Maybe he's, maybe he is, maybe he's not. There's simply, there, there's these questions that are really important and they're worth asking out loud. 
but there's simply just no way to know. There's simply no way to know. And also it could be a confidence thing too. Like maybe Francis gets the best medical care that he could hope for, but in the end he doesn't trust his knee. And so he doesn't fight in a way where he, he can really um, accept that his knee will hold up under rigorous circumstances. So he fights around it. That'll fuck him up too. You know, uh, let's, let's, let's just see. Let's just see. After listening to your talk with AJ and hearing him, McKee, and hearing him explain the difference between wrestling in the rise and ring in the cage, it made me wonder if this might be a problem for guys trying to make the potential transition from the rise in promotion to other promotions that use a cage. It hasn't seemed to affect the guys like Cop, Yuri, however you pr pronounce that, um, and Tofik. But what about someone more dependent on their ground game like Satoshi? Might he be more effective with the cage? AJ, if you guys didn't see it, I asked AJ, like, one of the things I noticed watching it, because it wasn't just true in his fight, or I should say seemingly true, seemingly true, was that I noticed that, like, the Bellator guys have, and these are guys like AJ can wrestle, like, he's a good fighter, and um, uh, Archuleta can wrestle, he's a good fighter, Horiguchi can wrestle, he's a good fighter. But I noticed that, like, even on the defensive side, they were overpowering their opponents, not through physical strength per se, but just vastly superior wrestling technique and the thing is this if you're constantly fighting opponents in the ring how much are you actually training takedowns takedown defense all the various things that you need to train if you were fighting in a cage how much are you training for that in a for fights in a surface where wrestling is just in general it's not i'm not listening to what i'm saying i am not saying wrestling is irrelevant in the ring it's very relevant but I don't think it's as relevant as it is in the cage. In the cage, it's significantly more relevant because it's this ever-present condition where wrestling is always in play. You don't even need the fence, but if the fence is just a wrestling uh, magnet. And I think it produces overall more wrestling exchanges, and I think it gives an advantage overall to people who are just better wrestlers rather than better fighters if one wants to make that distinction. And so I had a... I have a hypothesis that because it's just less of an emphasis not that it's not an emphasis but less of an emphasis in the ring they have not as finely tuned worked on their wrestling relative to the archuletas or the mckees or whoever else the pitbulls whoever else you want to put in that list where they really had to work on it because it's such a pronounced thing he didn't seem to buy it but i didn't really hear a refutation in what he had said i didn't hear why that's not really the case Rather, he just said, well, wrestling between the ring and the cage is different, which for sure is very true. I mean, he would know that better than me, but I, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out in terms of like the outside observer. Like, yeah, like definitely it is. Um, although he did say, of course, this makes sense that the the turnbuckle, the ring post on the four sides, more or less kind of functions similar to how a wall would with a fence um, in, in a cage in, in North American uh, style MMA. Although one uses a cage as well. Um, but I, I I wonder about that. I I mean, again, I can't say for certainty. My hypothesis is true. I'm far from it. But I I wonder about that. Like it, you can't fight in an organization that long against opponents that long, where wrestling is just not as much of a priority. And then tell me that in the end, the wrestling is going to come out more or less the same. Either you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't seem relevant. Like, but if you don't train your wrestling in in like, dude, if you don't wrestle in, like, you can win fights just wrestling in regular MMA in north america but if you don't have wrestling dude like it's over for you you can't do anything you can't do anything and you probably couldn't do hardly much at all in the ring but it'll keep you a little bit around there's a little bit more you can do um 
So for me, that's kind of the issue there. Like wall walking or any of that stuff, it's just not a big deal for them. I just think that their wrestling instincts and their fine-tune ability has been somewhat compromised, and that showed up offensively and defensively, it seemed to me, on that Bellator versus Rising card. It seemed to me like that was a big component of why the Bellator guys were able to withstand some of the varied attacks of their opponents. Their opponents were good fighters. And by the way, you can argue that Archuleta lost, but he didn't. a lot of that was from the guillotine attempts of his opponent, um, Suchul Kim, or the leg kicking. It wasn't like the wrestling he was having his way with Archuleta. He was able to get around it, but he wasn't lording it over. All the guys lorded it over their All the Bellator guys lorded it over their opponents. I mean, they didn't go 5-0 by accident. Some of the judging was wonky. Fair enough. But I don't know. Um, people ask me about other bands I like in metal. I don't like many other bands. I Who was it? Who's the... Was it Metal Blade? No, it was... Um, there's this Canadian YouTube channel where it's a bunch of like professional uh, music journalists, or I think some of them work in the industry, uh, and they they do reviews. And they did their review for like the 2022 best albums. These were, I mean, I couldn't listen to, I didn't know 99% of them, and I couldn't listen to hardly any of them. I listened to like old stuff from Cannibal Corpse. I listened to a ton of Dying Fetus. I listened to, um, I've listened to a little bit of like punk recently, like Trapped Under Ice. Trapped Under Ice is dope. I like them. <laughs> They're good. Uh, but I've been listening to um, Discarnate. I've been listening to um, who else? Who else have I been listening to? Let me pull up my my workout playlist. That's the one that's most commonly in rotation here. Let's see who I got here. On my old on my old likes and whatnot. All right. So here's who I got. Ready? These are my likes. Let's see. Slayer, Disciple, Death, Pull the Plug. I got the Helmet, which is not which is not hardcore metal, but Helmet's one of my favorite. I do have some Slaughter to Prevail, but that's their songs are a little meathead, but they're fun for the they're fun for the uh, for working out. Got some Six Feet Under, Corpse Grinder himself. Um, let's see. Again, Dying Fetus, obviously a ton of Pantera, but that's old. You're talking about new stuff. Rivers. Uh, um, uh, I have nails as well here. You will never be one of us. Um, let's see. What else do I have? Cattle Decapitation is a big one. Love Cattle Decapitation. They have a new album coming out. Yeah, you get the idea. I mean, oh, yeah, uh, Rivers of Nile is another one. So I guess I listen to a few different ones, but like the vast people are like, oh, I think I must have like some rich interest in death metal. In general, I do not. In general, I do not. There's like a handful of bands I like, and then that's really about it. I don't, I'm not like a big death metal guy in the broader sense I, I can like and respect a lot of them but i don't seek them out okay this one got 33 likes let's hear this so this person writes luke i just want to say i appreciate your hard work and insight not just on mma but uh blah thank you very much just saying nice stuff all right he says uh, he likes my perspective on views and perceptions of those who are uh, POCs, which means a person of color. He writes like himself. And he says, just speaking about my experience, being a black man and a fan of the sport can be frustrating and just downright hurtful due to the tone deafness of fans and the fighters themselves. I can always count on you. He says, I don't think that's quite true, 
to provide perspectives that many involved in the sport do not consider and to share them on your various platforms. Um, although it's common for these perspectives to be quickly dismissed, it's extremely validating to be heard and understood by someone of your stature, especially considering that I'm not aware of any reputable black MMA journalists. That's not quite true. And a few people of color. Um, my buddy, I wouldn't call him a journalist, but he works in uh, MMA media and for Fight Metric, my buddy Raphael. By the way, shouts to my boy Raphael. Got his black belt this week. How about that? Got his black belt on Sunday. Um, I knew him. Pff, he was a blue belt way back then and he just stuck it out and finished the journey and i'm so proud of him um so um there are some karen bryant i think you could throw in that list as well there's probably a couple other ones you know every time someone brings this up that there's someone else like out there that feels like this there are just inevitable i mean i get hate mail after every anytime i discuss any issue like this i can set my fucking watch to going to my personal email address, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. I'm still going to give it out, and I'll just have a page of hate mail in there. Like, why are you talking about this? Blah, 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 blah. Guys, I'm trying to explain something to you. Like, the combat sports, they are segregated, and there should be some kind of examination about that. Like, why is that the case? Again, was just here for the Gervonta Davis fight, right, for against uh, Hector Luis Garcia. But this is true of the of the Danny Garcia fight in Brooklyn that I went to. It's true of blo- almost any boxing fight, Jake Paul not included. The audience is some white, majority black, or majority Latino. Like, And then you go to MMA fights, and the audience is majority white. Never seen. I have seen boxing audiences that were majority white. I have never seen in my life, not one time, an MMA audience that was majority black, not once. And that includes Brazil. That includes Brazil. Never seen it. It's like literally never. I don't think it's ever even happened. Not on any kind of major televised scale at all. Not once. Like basically the UFC is, and and by the way, like I'm not saying that if you like one or the other, it says something about you. Like, like what you like. It is weird to me that they have segregated in this way and that people who are not part of that major group, when they speak out, they get fucking shouted down and, hurled at insults like there's this like, for, for 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 a group that's like well we don't want we're not against can we're against cancel culture we don't want to tamp down all this people should have a right to say what they want to say boy that doesn't seem to hold very true when people who like this speak up and have something to say that's again not in the mainstream of what is accepted conventional wisdom they get shouted down very fast i can tell you again i'm telling you i am telling you after this is over i'm going to go check my email and it's going to be full of people being why the fuck were you talking about that? It, it, like it's like clockwork it's like clockwork and so there should be some kind of examination about why it's happened this way, where boxing has become extremely popular around Hispanic people and African-Americans and why MMA is largely popular by, by white folks. Nothing wrong with any party liking any version of that. I like both. You can like one or the other. doesn't matter to me. But why, why did it happen that way? And what does it say that they have remained relatively consistent with this? It says something. It says something. It's not an accident. It's not... You know, is it the end of the world? I, I don't know. I wish it was more cross-pollinated. And by the way, you can point the finger at boxing and be like, why aren't, aren't there more of, why is it just two populations? Why aren't there other ones that are seemingly as excited about this as as that? I mean, you can, there's, there's any number of ways in which to inspect this issue, but like the, the urge to inspect it, the, the people identifying that there's value in inspecting it, it's like pulling fucking teeth. It's like pulling teeth. Also, while I really appreciate this note, it's fucking sad as shit that honestly a guy like this, uh, who seems quite nice, has to thank 
an old washed piece of shit like me for being like, hey, there might be other perspectives here that people should listen to. I shouldn't be the one doing that. Right? I shouldn't be the one doing that. You don't hear a lot of like very pronounced women's voices in MMA with strong opinions, right? There's not hardly any. You don't see a lot of people who are like very pronounced opinions who have a big stature who are Hispanic or black. It's just a bunch of dudes who look like me with loud opinions. And some are great and some are not. But if you actually really want MMA to grow and you really actually want to be uh, as big as it can be, you have to make it, you don't have to roll out the red carpet for anybody, but you should make it inviting to as many groups as possible. And you might, again, I would make this exact same criticism to boxing. Like, why is it that you've lost this generation of fight fans? Like, how, how did that happen? You should probably reflect on that too. You should probably reflect on that too. There's a real conversation to be had there in either direction. But, you know, whenever these issues come up, it's just, uh, it's revulsion. Like the, I, the the notion that this should even be a subject at all is like how we're we even discussing this. Motherfucker, we're discussing it because it's a fact. And it's a fact that speaks to something probably a little fucked up in the end, actually, is why we're having this conversation. Because it, it's, it, it, that's weird. It's kind of weird that it sort of self-segregates in the way that it does. Like no one's banned from buying a ticket either way. They just don't. They don't. That's weird. It shouldn't be that way, but it is, but it is. That probably says something that we should think about a little bit more and what kind of communities we're actually inviting and who really wants to be a part of it and what happens if we're not actually inviting the right people in terms of how the sport can grow and what will it look like and how we can recruit talent. Just thinking out loud on that one, folks. All right, there, here comes a hate mail. Uh, you know, it is, you can set your fucking watch to it. More questions about Strickland. All right, here we go. Luke, have you seen the interview with Dana White's mother from five years ago? Dude, I remember. I remember when Dana White. Uh, so Jerry Millen, who, by the way, is still involved with Fedor, uh, I think helped put out those videos. Uh, you guys might not remember Jerry Millen. He was a character. And so I, I say character. I mean, he's a real person. But he was sort of always he, he made he was involved with pride. Basically, he was an executive with pride. And um, he's still involved with Fedor. Um, but I remember when Jerry Millen put those out, how, they were more than five years ago. They were like 10 years ago. They kind of resurfaced every so often. But all right, back to the question. Uh, have you seen the interview with Dana White's mother from five years ago? It definitely slipped under the radar as I have just seen it recently. In the interview, Dana's mother describes her dislike of the person he is. She suggested that Dana cheats on his wife, that Dana has had physical altercations with his wife in the past, highlighting an ongoing issue. And that he treats people horribly. What do you make of this? Well, it's a little tough uh, to know if she's an honest broker. I mean, that seems, uh, you know, a lot of this is none of our business, but they have made it public. So we're trying to like talk about just the pieces that are public and leave the rest of it alone. Um, it seems like a very fractured family situation and an unfortunate one, I think, is the very best way to put that, if I can. So, first thing I'd say. Um, probably some of what she says is true. Probably some of it is not. You can make a judgment about, um, you know, uh, which ones are which I'll just tell you about Dana from the outside. I've never, I've only interacted with Dana like a handful of times and they were fine. 
they were fine interactions. You might remember the famous scrum where he said Nate Diaz was bigger than me, like that got the rounds. And then he caught, came and you guys remember this? He we we had a back and forth at the presser, and then he came and found me later and was like, "You should see, he's bigger than you." Like people like that, they kind of responded to that. I, I've had fine interactions with him in person. Listen, for every story I've heard about Dana going out of his way to help someone, and we had Laura Senko on the on Room Service Diaries talk about this, and I've had plenty of people tell me privately. Like Dana going out of their way to hook him up here, hook him up there, help him here, help him there. For every one of those stories I've heard, I've heard an equal number of people being like, Dana came out to assassinate my career. He tried to fuck with me on this. He tried to mess up this. He sabotaged this. You know, so maybe like all people, he's complicated. And for some, he's intensely loyal and giving and rewarding. And to others, he's a nightmare to deal with. Um, That's the best assessment I can make given my proximity to him and what i hear but like i have heard an equal number truly i mean this i've heard an equal number of people testify that he has been the source of everything that's gone right in their professional career and i've heard the exact same amount of people who say the exact opposite and you might also just sort of conclude generally from that well it's good to have the good part but if you have that much of the bad part it kind of outweighs it or maybe you think it's the same you know you will have to make a judgment i would not i would not look at any executive in prize fighting at all, at all, whether it's UFC, top rank, golden boy, PBC, you name it. Um, I would not look at any of them as a paragon of virtue. I think that would be a mistake. The fight business is ugly and it, it attracts, whether it's him or anyone else, it attracts a lot of characters of a lot of different types. And some of them are very bad. Some of them are just whatever, but it just in general, it trends towards it's a rough place. It's a rough place. Um, so like, you know, has he had ongoing altercations with his wife? How could any of us possibly know the answer to that? But when she says that like he has treated people horribly, we can reflect on the times where people he has done the opposite. But I just, I mean, like his beef with Ariel, like maybe he went overboard on that one or whatever. Dude. Ariel ain't the only dude he's beefing with like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He he's not the only one. Not even close. Not even close. Um, so you know, he is many, he contains multitudes. And I just tend to think you should draw whatever conclusions you want about what I'm telling you, but I don't walk around ever ever in this business that anyone who works in an executive function is someone who is a paragon of morality whose ideas about the world I need to copy. In fact, I do the exact fucking opposite. I do this. They're there because they have a job to do. If they've been there for a while, they're probably pretty good at it, or at least they've got a good stranglehold on it. And I will judge them according to the capacity of that job. But I don't ever look to them as like, you know, are they a Boy Scout who looks out for people, who helps old ladies cross the street? I don't do that. And you would be very wise to not do that. Like, do I think that about Bob Arum? Nope. Sure don't. Right? I think that'd be a mistake. De La Hoya? Nope. Right? That's just not. Mm-mm. Al Heyman, you name it. Wh- whoever, whoever, whoever. I don't. They, they're there in this business, in this very cutthroat business, to do a cutthroat job end of fucking story anything else is you pasting onto them something that's probably not there for better or for worse don't do it don't do it 
Oh, this I love these questions. These are my favorite. I'm not trying to be harsh, but Luke, I recently have come out of a relationship which lasted over four years. I'm 26. Do you have any tips or advice you can offer from any similar experiences you have had? Yeah, count your fucking blessings. <laughs> Dude, like, go date. Uh, this is great. You shouldn't have been marrying anyone, probably, at 25 anyway. So you might have had a favor done for you. You're doing great. Great. You're in your 20s and you can go see other people? Yeah, go do that. Mm-hmm. Go do that. That'd be a real that'd be a real smart thing to do. Go take advantage of that. Go take advantage of that. You have if you're 26 and you just got the green light, buddy. The world is your oyster. You should not be complaining. You should be celebrating. Might suck to have had the relationship end. I understand. I understand. That could be quite difficult. I don't know the circumstances of it or what it meant to you or whatever. Fine. I don't mean to suggest that these are things that don't deserve you know, empathy or sympathy or something like that. It's not what I mean. But once you've licked your wounds a little bit, look around at the greater picture. You're 20 nothing and free to go seek out the world. Shit, dude. I'd kill a man. I mean, I love, I I, I don't want to change my life, but like, you know, the freedom at 26, because I was 26 in the same position, uh, to go do something like that. Dude, this is a, you are winning. You are winning. This is this is this is not two seven off suit, my friend. This is this is a pair of aces. You just got to figure out, you know, what the turn card on the river is going to be. Do we think uh, Sean O'Malley will fight a five rounder before getting a title shot? Probably, probably. Especially if it ends up being a unification against Aljo at some point, yes. Fight not may not may not go that long, but yes. Uh, here's a decent one. Oops. Luke, there's a lot of rumors around Francis and the PFL and the new pay-per-view deal with that Jake Paul introduced. Do you think it's a viable option for Francis? It may look appealing, but if you don't have the names, no match with him and the pay-per-view numbers won't be great. Any thoughts? Yeah, it's a tough one to do because like Junior Dos Santos, remember, was supposed to fight Fedor through Eagle FC, but Eagle FC is kind of going tits up or whatever it is. So um, you could be like, oh, well, you could do Francis versus JDS, which isn't great. You could do it, but it's not great. But he already fought him, and so you already saw how that's going to go, right? I think he fought him already. Um, let me double-check that. I, dude, my brain is not working great. Let's try this. Uh, okay. He has fought. I'm pretty sure that's true that he fought him. Yeah, he fought him back in 2019. Dusted him off inside of a round. What would that do for somebody? The problem is that like PFL is in this really strange position where um, – they don't have to do nearly as many sales to get someone a similar amount of money that they would get with UFC, but the UFC just has everyone under lock and key. Now, there are some ways to slowly change that equation, but it would take a lot of people taking a lot of risk. I tend to think it's unlikely. Possible, worth worth taking seriously, but like as ultimately successful, I just don't think that that's right. I will be surprised if they can get enough names out there and what also the other part about this is like 
now that they're doing this, it, it's only going to strengthen you, Francis's position because he may or may not have some kind of offer on the table from PFL. I don't know what the situation is there, but it almost doesn't matter, right? Like the UFC is going to look at this and be like, okay, maybe we have to up our offer in conjunction with what PFL has done or anyone else has done just to make sure we can, you know, keep him happy, just to have that little extra edge that we can do what no one else can do. That could be a part of it as well, right? And they can still do that by having overall very low fighter pay as a percentage of the overall amount of revenue that they generate. All right, we'll do one of these because I'm um, because it's I do think it's important to have a conversation about. All right, let's do this. Look, do you think that if Dana were to step aside for any meaningful length of time, it would make him more replaceable as UFC would have been forced to navigate away without him? And do you think it's at least part of the reason he would refuse to do similar to Bruce Buffer working through a torn ACL? Yeah, like this idea that, I mean, <laughs> that presser was funny. The presser was funny. Um, listen, let's start with the good part. Start with the good part. The good part is this. I thought Dana came out and said... Hey, everyone defending me, like, oh, you know, she hit me first, people. That's exactly what they're doing. Um, you know, don't stop. Like, don't defend me. It's I'm not defending it. You shouldn't defend it. It's 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 wrong. It's it's wrong no matter what. And um, you should stop doing that. First of all, I thought that was great. Thought that was great. Thought that was really strong of him. Glad he spoke to the media. Like, there's a few things I'm pretty happy about with what Dana did here. And again, just to be very clear, I have not called for his job because I actually don't. That doesn't seem to me to really solve, I, I don't know, it just doesn't quite match up for me. It doesn't quite match up, given the, the broader set of circumstances. So I like that from Dana. Didn't like much else, though. Didn't like much else. There's this constant thing in, in MMA where someone does something halfway, and it satisfies a bunch of gullible people. And the vast majority of the people who are satisfied tend to be gullible. And so if you question the half-assedness of it, they're like, what do you keep going on about this for? Obsessed much? What the fuck is wrong with you? And it's like, guys, there's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do this. And you're giving something that is extremely half-assed. And I, by the way, even calling it half-assed is generous at this point. It was barely even that. Let me give you an example. So all the parts I said that were good, that, I think those were good. That was great. But like this, like saying to the point of your question, you know, you, if you punish me, how does it hurt me? I'm, I'm rich. I can go do anything or, you know, it would hurt the UFC. It would hurt my employees. That is such a bullshit manipulative argument, right? Saying, well, it wouldn't hurt me. It would hurt everyone else. Like, dude, it's a billion dollar company. <laughs> it can't run effectively, right? Over time, unless one particular person is there to make sure Sorry, it doesn't work that way. You don't get to scale to a billion dollars in annual revenue, much less the actual value of the organization, which could be double digits into the billions at this point. It could be 10 billion or more. It's possible, right? It's possible. It can't actually be that you have scaled the business that far and that only one person can keep it afloat. Pick one. It's either one or the other, right? For example, my channel... Is not a billion-dollar entity. If you removed me, who the fuck else is going to run it? That seems to me a fair argument. You remove me, I'm not really sure who else would keep it alive. It's very small, right? Relatively speaking. 
And I can see the numbers dropping every fucking time, man. It's, it's predictable what people have the tolerance for. I like all viewpoints to be heard. Stop fucking lying, bro. Stop lying. Oh, my God, stop lying. Uh, to yourself, too. So there, it's just disingenuous and, frankly, manipulative. It's emotionally manipulative to say, like, the key to keeping everyone else happy is keeping me around. It's just, it's, it's, it's from a business perspective, simply not true. And moreover, just in, insanely manipulative and unfair. I think also Ariel Hawani made a great point, which was um, like, why is he even answering the questions about the punishment to begin with? It should be somebody else having a conversation about it, which is another part too. Yeah. Like, dude, the UFC could very much run without him. The UFC could very much run without any individual one person taken out, no matter what you can change matchmakers. You could, and don't get me wrong. Hunter Campbell is valuable. He's replaceable. Bruce Buffer's replaceable. Sean Shelby's replaceable. Dana White's replaceable. Daniel Cormier's replaceable. Joe Rogan is replaceable. All of them are replaceable. And by the way, they will eventually be replaced any fucking way. <laughs> They're not immortal. A day will come when they have to move on from them no matter what. No matter what. Right? And to say that you're 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 on ESPN, that you're you have 80, 85, 85% of the, of the world's premier talent that you're in all you know 150 plus countries that you're the dominant brand on pay-per-view that you pull in a billion dollars revenue and that yet it takes one guy to keep the shit going it doesn't make any sense it, and and i know you can parse like well the business will be hurt i, I can buy at least in the short run that dana does do, and also this it definitely used to be true I think that Dana White was fairly essential to the business years and years ago, post Ultimate Fighter, when he was really banging the drum and trying to get all these deals done with all of these broadcasters and commissions and, um, and, and in terms of international growth. And he was flying everywhere and he was speaking to every, you know, board of directors and every sponsor and every editor and every newspaper and radio star. I mean, he killed himself in a, I mean, it damaged his long term health to grow the brand. I can believe that. That I can believe. But now, now he has created this massive operation and it's just completely disingenuous to say they would be hurt by my absence. Maybe a little bit, a little bit in the short run. That's it. That's it. Everyone's replaceable. Everyone's replaceable. Everyone at every level of every major organization is replaceable. Guess what? Jeff Bezos is replaceable at Amazon. I mean, fucking Tesla can, you know, Elon Musk has obviously done a lot for Tesla. He is not essential to be there either. You can go on and on. No one. The jobs can be done by others um, or in some, 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 you know, reasonable accommodation of a couple of people filling this role or, or that role. Like, it's just absolutely not true. And to position like, and like I'm what's standing in between you hurting them, like, try to make you feel bad for hurting someone because really it would be affecting to you nothing but only through them by the 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 scary importance that you operate day to day it's just not it's not even remotely true it's just not true at all um so i didn't buy any of that and thought it was frankly ridiculous that he said that um so i can appreciate he talked to the media i can appreciate that he has not in any way tried to say what I said was like, well, you know, she hit me first or blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, hitting her was wrong, period, period. Doesn't matter any of, any of the other circumstances in this particular story, hitting her was wrong. I really appreciate that. I thought that was great. But dude, let me just end here and then we'll take the paid questions. Yeah. You have heard me say this 
on this very podcast before. This is not a country that does a great job of punishing its elites. It's not. Show me the bankers that went to jail in 2008 for destroying the economy. I guess they got Sam Bakeman freed here recently with a crypto collapse. But, you know, crypto is a clown car filled with people just ready to give up their hard-earned money for no reason. And even then, I don't know how many of these guys will actually go to jail. And that was an amazing amount of fraud. So I guess he's like the Bernie Madoff equivalent. But in general, like the people who tank the economy, they don't go to jail. The, the, the folks who got us into the Iraq war, who destroyed vast swaths of the Middle East and killed 5,000 of our own men and women, where are they? They're at the fucking board of directors at Raytheon. They're at think tanks. They're in other positions of power in the government. Did they go to jail for anything? No. Uh, when anyone else commits an SEC violation, what do they do? They just pay a huge fine. Dude, we do not do a great job of punishing very rich and otherwise powerful people in this country. Dana White is part of that story. Some of you guys keep seeing him as like the fight fan who who blew up and did great, which in some ways, of course, he obviously is. He is a real fight fan, and he came from more humble beginnings to what he's gotten to now, and that's fine. You can take inspiration in that story. I'm not here to bash it at all, but let's just look at where he is now. He has billionaire friends every which way he can look. He's got the most premier media allies either ignoring the situation or outright covering for him. Uh, he had the outlet who broke the story soft pedal it to make it less damaging so he could get his word out as the story went out and then the statements out as the story went out, which no one else would fucking get. Dude, this is a country that by hook or by crook, and Dana White is proof of this, that does not punish, at least not very effectively, it's rich and powerful. It just doesn't. There's not a lot of push for it. There's not a lot of uh, resources for it. There's every amount of resistance in the billionaire class, of which Dana basically gets to enjoy, even if he's not technically a billionaire, but he's pretty fucking close. They do. They they are insulated by and large. The Sackler family un unleashing the opioid crisis on America. Which one of the Sackler family went to jail? Now I'm not saying Dana should go to jail, but you see what I'm saying. Like either with courts or business or whatever. This is not a country that punishes its elites very well. It can happen on occasion. I mean, dude, Jeffrey Epstein, as just an example, was ritually abusing and basically molesting or raping minors for how many years? Years. I'm talking years of abuse. And how long did he skate before the law found him? I mean, it took fucking forever. And we're talking about one of the most, you know, just an absolutely horrific crime, set of crimes, and a horrific person. Now, again, I'm not comparing him to any other person, Dana White or otherwise. That's a that's its own thing. I'm simply saying as an exaggerated example, look at how bad it had to be before anyone did anything. And Dana has been contrite in general. So, you know, there's, there's you know, they're vastly different scenarios. And every they're not even morally on the same wavelength. But I'm just pointing out, look at how much you have to do as an elite in this country to actually face repercussions. It has to be crazy. And if it's not crazy, and I'm talking like out of control, for the most part, you skate. That wouldn't happen to you, and it wouldn't happen to me. It just wouldn't. 
if there was a story about me hitting my wife, you think I'm going to get on here and be like, <laughs> the shame of it is I'm a YouTuber who just has to be labeled as a wife beater the rest of my life? I mean, what, CBS would drop me like a fucking bad habit. So would Showtime, you know, and I would understand it. You and I are not immune to that. He has raised himself to a level where he is now part of the pantheon of folks that just don't have to worry about this shit anymore. All right, let's get to your questions, the paid ones, and then we will go from there. All right, let's see here. Okay. Uh, I recently watched MK Doc 7. I noticed End of Faith by Sam Harris on your shelf. Can you describe the influences or knowledge you've gained by reading a Sam's work, if any? For me, I started valuing evidence over blind faith. I want to tell you that he didn't add much. By the time I got to him, I had read people who were vastly ahead of him as a sort of an, uh, well, he's more, he's a neuroscientist, but there's a bit of philosophy that goes into it in terms of what he does. Um, I, I appreciated it. I agree with a large portion of it. Um, especially he has a chapter on like all the times in which um, I think it may have been just Islam, but I think it was like Abrahamic religions calling explicitly for violence. You know, it's, it's fun that that was put together, but you know, there's problems with the way in which he has sort of underpinned his set of ethics, which is human flourishing. But of course what constitutes human flourishing is somewhat in large part, a function of debate. And so it's not a basis upon which to draw a wider array of ethics. Um, but I, I agreed with the vast majority of it. I just didn't get a whole lot new from it. This is not, reading Sam Harris is not the same as reading, um, or I should say, let me back that up. Reading End of Faith is not on par with reading the more significant uh, treatises I have read on ethical behavior or how society should be structured around um, moral considerations. Luke in DC, welcome to the GB. Great Britain. Did you know the entire country is on strike? No trains, ambulances. So you and uh, you and BC clean up your diet. GB not the best place to have a heart attack. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still coming to see you, you, you fucks. And let me put that up one more time. Let me put it up one more time. There, look at that. Come get your tickets, folks. Come get your tickets. King's Place, February eighth. It's gonna be fun as shit. We're gonna have a good time. Don't think we're not. All right. I'm fairly new to boxing. Started watching when you talked to BC up for the Four Princes. Is Tank versus Ryan Garcia fight hype or something I should legitimately be excited for? Listen, definitely because both guys are very popular. Tank Garcia, uh, excuse me, Tank Davis. By the way, hold on. Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia. There's going to be a lot of hype around it. That's a little bit sensationalized, but but that's true of any fun fight or relatively big fight. There are actual stakes here. Now, I'm of the belief that BC is big on having Gervonta uh, on his pound-for-pound pound list. I don't agree. He should be. To me, he's not fought the appropriate level of competition to be considered there. He might have that talent that will put him there eventually. But just you have to beat the right guys, I think, to get there. I don't think he's done that yet. Now, you beat Garcia, certainly you get a little bit closer. But um, what I would say is, Let's back up a step. Dude, Tank Davis has a jury trial in February, and I didn't hide from this at all on the broadcasts. He has a fucking jury trial in February for a hit and run on a pregnant woman, and I want you to understand the levels of this case. He had actually, through his attorney, reached a plea agreement um, with the state uh, in Maryland to avoid jail time. I think there was some house arrest and whatever. Whatever was in the plea agreement, but it didn't call for any jail time. The judge rejected the plea agreement. 
The judge rejected it and said, no, 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 you're going to go to a jury trial. Now, there is still the possibility that they could reach another different kind of plea agreement, and maybe the judge will find that more satisfactory, and maybe that still keeps them out of jail. Like, they can find a resolution to this before they ever get to trial. Most of these courts don't want trials. They, they seek to avoid them if at all possible. But, dude, you know, I don't know what's going to happen then. I don't know what a jury of his peers is going to say. But he's facing like, and you could also argue he's overcharged, but he's facing something like 14 counts. I think half of which at a bare minimum are felony counts. Like he's facing somewhere. I think the math is nine years in prison. So, you know, um, <laughs> not a foregone conclusion that fight happens. I think is the best way to put it. But if it does, it's going to be great. Uh, this person writes, do you think Habib's decision to periodically step away from coaching was influenced by the Dana drama and the toxic response to it by many in MMA? No, mm -mm. no, he, I think Habib decided to step away because he's tired of traveling. He's tired of being away from his kids. You imagine having three kids and you're gone for months at a time. That's just an unbearable thought. I would never want any part of that. And I don't think he wants any part of that either, to, or at least to the extent he can limit it. He will, um, no, I don't think it has anything to do with that. By the way, it was funny with the Dana drama, which I'm sure I'm going to get downvoted for. It was funny to me. People were like, I didn't even see anyone defending him. It's like, oh, my fucking God. This happens every time. This happens every time. Anytime there's any kind of issue, what people say is, oh, my God, this is so terrible. This X is happening. Then something changes the story, right? Or, or I should say the story develops. Not that everything you thought happened didn't happen, but like something new happens. And then there's a course of people being like, that thing that people said happened never happened. It's like, dude, you have to be living under a rock to think that people weren't defending Dana. They were on their, I mean, they were white knighting for the guy. They were Dana white knighting for the guy as best they could. And Dana, him, Dana himself had to come out and be like, please fucking stop doing this. Just please stop doing this. This is not okay. Like himself. He, even he wasn't trying to defend his actions. He was saying that maybe those actions don't necessitate punishment beyond reputational harm, and that's a debate you can have. But even he wasn't like, well, she did hit me first. No, no, he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. I think folks would be wise to marinate with that for a minute. What's up, Milkman? Uh, chat GPT has some interesting scoring ideas, system ideas from points to aggression to basically implementing pride system thoughts on AI and scoring and judging, not even dude, let's <laughs> not even remotely interested. I, I wouldn't be uninterested in AI coming up with some ideas, but they would need to be road tested extensively before we implemented them. And this is the major problem with MMA innovation. Something I've discussed a lot. We don't have a we don't have a testing system. So everyone's got all these bright ideas, but no one's come up with a different idea, which is, okay, right. How do we create a system where we can implement these ideas, see if they work or if they don't, and then take the best ones and then apply them to, um, you know, major MMA. That's like, here, here's, here's what I want to see from everyone's judging ideas, like, oh, half point or pride system, whatever. Ah, none of that. Come up with a system so that we can test ideas. That's the, that's the, that's, that's the holy grail right there. Find a way for us to take everyone's grand ideas, put them into practice in like real fights that actually have some consequence. And then let's see which ones we can infer meaningfully improve the situation. That is the thing that is missing.
three years sober today. Congratulations. So I thought I'd treat myself to a paid queue. I'm wondering what region you think of next huge crop of untapped MMA talent will come out of. Um, you know, all of these places are relatively advanced, and obviously China's a big answer. I think for me, France is going to be an interesting one. And France is already pretty developed to some extent. Uh, Germany would be another one. Germany is, is Europe's largest economy. Well, who are the three biggest, right? Well, not EU, but Europe in general. It'd be UK, France, and Germany, right? UK is on its way. Um, France is kind of picking the pace up, right? You're seeing some talent come out of there. And Germany seems like it, they've got some stuff going on, but it hasn't turned into a big hub for MMA um, in the way that some of us might have hoped. Like, it's much bigger for boxing, obviously. Um, so, to me, I want to see what's up with the French and the Germans going forward. Like, the French, if you don't know this, like, the French history of judo is elite. Elite. And, of course, kickboxing has been big there, and they've got their own styles of French martial arts. Pensox a lot is another one. And they've, they've got all kinds of stuff that the, the French history of martial arts and combative um, sports is big. It's big. I would love to see that turn towards MMA more aggressively uh, and, and what comes out of there. Germany, I mean, we got a long way to go. I know there are some folks who fight out of Germany. I know some big teams out of there. But in terms of like a self-sustaining industry within the country itself, I think Germany has a long way to go. Is Jake Paul's business savviness and marketing skills showing elite boxers a blueprint on how to make promotions like Golden Boy and TMT obsolete in the next 10 to 20 years? I mean, I'm not sure about making Golden Boy and TMT obsolete. I think, you know, his situation is very unique to his particular set of circumstances. Golden Boy signs a lot of people you've never heard of to build them up over time. And same with top or top rank or, or who, you mentioned Golden Boy and TMT and, and, and Floyd is doing the same thing. So it's not, not, not really in that sense. Jake Paul's, Jake Paul's got a highly unique business. He's a YouTuber turned boxer who got... An additional level of notoriety and fame picking a fight with the MMA industry by beating up their older aging stars in boxing matches. That's what he did. Like I've had people being like, oh, he disrupted boxing. Nah, not really. Not really. I mean, a little bit, but like he did it by picking on MMA. Right. That's that's exactly how he got to where he got. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say to you, the 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 Jake Paul fight, that was all MMA fans there. That was all MMA fans. All MMA fans. They had David Benavidez in Arizona on camera, and the crowd was silent. And then they showed Sean O'Malley, and they lost their mind. That would never happen at a regular boxing match. Never. Not in Arizona, especially. Especially. It's MMA fans that are watching him, not boxing fans. So, no, I don't... Um, I don't... I don't... I just... His situation seems way too distinct for me. Go to website for reading off fight stats. So let me show you what I do since you guys want to see this. Okay, let me show you this. So here is just my incognito window. So let's say I wanted to learn something about someone. I wanted to see their stats. Um, if they're in Bellator, there's not much you can really do. Uh, but for, let's say, UFC, or let's say I want to see Sean Strickland, right? In fact, there it does. It comes right up. Okay. Here's Sean Strickland's stats. Okay. This is my go-to. It's UFC stats, but if you just go to UFC stats proper, it kind of takes you to here. You, you can go in there and you can go look through like the stat leader space, right? Here's all the total fights for all weight classes. You could be like, okay, I want 
you know, I want to see who's the like the best lightweight in terms of let's update it. Um, you know, let's see for uh, submission wins. So it'd be Charles Oliveira at lightweight. You can do all kinds of things, but in general, I go here. So I look at their height, I look at their weight, reach, stance, and then they do this before all their big fights. They have a matchup preview here, so you can see here are all of these. If you can't read it, I'll blow it up a little bit. Uh, maybe one more time. There we go. So here we have Sean Strickland and Nasordin Imovov. You can see the record, their average fight time, height. Obviously, their weight's going to be relatively the same. Reach, blah, blah, blah. Strikes landed per minute, strikes absorbed, strikes landed, strikes absorbed, defense, accuracy, takedowns, all, all that stuff. Who their last five fights was. This is a good place. I also like to go to um, Tapology. I like to see. That's one of my favorite places to, to sort of look at people's records. But for stats, that's my go-to. That's my go-to right there. UFCstats.com. Hope to see you in London. Thank you. Hope to see you in London as well. Did you watch Andor yet? No, I've not. I've not. Um, first time chatter. I want to say F anyone who hits their wife and F anyone who supports it. Love MMA. Hate those in it. Well, I don't hate everyone in it, but I wish they had different ideas. I can tell you that. Uh, Prime Masvidal, Prime McGregor. Ooh. Maybe Masvidal. Maybe Masvidal. Yeah, probably Masvidal. Um, all right, Luke, that Indian dude. Uh, seems like Andrew Tate case is handled by Romania's top prosecutor who put away Romania's biggest crime lords. Feel so sorry for MMA fans and fighters who were Tate supporters. Not surprised. I mean, I don't feel bad for them. Like, again, I don't know what's up with his criminal case, and I don't know what to say about any of that. Like, let that will just play out. But, like, he is so obviously full of shit. I mean, it's I don't know how anyone could look at what he is saying and be like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. It's like matter-of-factly nonsensical. And it obviously requires on it requires the participation of like incredibly weak people through abusive means. You know, this is none none of this has anything to do with self-actualization or um ethical living or really even frankly meaningful sustained true happiness like it's got nothing to do with any of that he's he's got the worst ideas about the world i've ever seen or i should say some of the worst ideas i've ever seen and you know it's not it's not even worth parsing the various points of his worldview it's so it's, it's just utterly nonsensical i think the thing that troubles me is that folks look at that and like they're like oh yeah this is uh this is this is very convincing like your judgment is off if he's convincing to you. Like, there's nothing about what he's saying that's even remotely convincing. It's like obviously nonsensical. But, but we've talked about this before. In a world where people have lost trust in institutions and experts, charlatans appear to be the viable alternative. Um, so there's bigger fish to fry there. Uh, I live in a town with zero training gyms. All of my friends are degenerates who don't train. Any tips of improving technique without anyone to critique? Yeah, move. Move. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what to tell you. Like, if I lived in a town where there were zero gyms to train and all of my friends were degenerates, I would fucking move. Not just to get to, like, a gym, but, like, I would want to be in a place where, like, better things were happening in a more positive direction for more people. Yeah, you should move. I mean, I don't know if I'm being fully serious, but like I'm being halfway serious with that. All right. How does Alex beat Islam? 
Hasn't shown much knockout power at 145, so it's unlikely he will at 155. Speed could be one, though. He could, he could land a lot. Does he have a path to victory without stopping Islam? Probably not, but he has stopped folks before. He stopped Chad Mendes, although Chad kind of gassed, so that was part of it. But um, I guess the thing I would say relative to this question is, it's just really, does he does he stop the takedown? Does he chew up the legs of Alex over time? Excuse me, of, uh, Volk, of uh, Islam over time? Does, does that slow him down? Is he able to work to the body? And then is he able to overtake it? Because remember, like late in the fight, I don't think Islam's going to fade. But if he lets himself be hit enough, not in ways that each one does a lot of damage per se, but the accumulation of it changes his fight style or his fight ability. Um, again, it, it's an uphill climb, but I could see him landing on Islam at least for certain periods. But really, it's just a function of can he stop the takedown and then create separation. If he can't do either of those, it's hard for me to see how he wins. Would you and BC ever reach out to Ariel for a, a room service diaries? I don't know. We haven't thought about that. That's a good question. Other celebs like Mark Wahlberg. Don't care about him. Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger is the big one for me. Schwarzenegger. I mean, it's funny. I've got the Schwarzenegger Predator poster. I've got him at, I think, seven, I'm not sure which, 1970-something, 76, I want to say. I think that's wrong. Uh, Olympia here. I've got... Let's see right there i've got the predator doll um i subscribe to his newsletter follow him on social media i can't even tell you how much like an influence schwarzenegger's had in my life and he's a flawed guy too very flawed guy but there's a lot that he does that i like and a lot that has been meaningful for me so that's the big one but for ariel yeah i mean probably probably i don't there's nothing in the pipeline but i certainly wouldn't be opposed to it Born in 1995, I miss Schwarzenegger at his peak. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. I know you're a fan, so could I get a list of some of your favorite movie seasons? Fuck, man. I could just go down the list. Predator, Last Action Hero, Commando, um, Red Sonja, Red Heat. Um, obviously, the Conan movies are, forget about it. Um, Terminator, Terminator 2. Um I watched Twins the other day again with him and Danny DeVito, which was great. I mean, the, I, it, I'm not a bias. Excuse me, I'm not an unbiased source on Schwarzenegger. You're not going to get a, not much but positivity from me. I don't know he like he fucked up his life with banging his, you know, um, housekeeper and stuff like that. You know, and he wasn't a great governor, but in general, I I quite like him. Is Columbia a place you and your wife would like to retire in? Yes. For a cheaper and better way of life yes uh in fact i think that's probably the likeliest outcome i think we will probably end up retiring there yeah it's easy for me to get residency um obviously this won't last forever in the way that it's going right now but the dollar is strong as shit and in general the cost of living there is relatively low um dude i could buy like we're probably we're, we're likely to buy property there this year um for long-term residency so yeah yeah, in fact, that's almost certainly where I'll end up. With the continued evolution of MMA, are we less likely to see the runs of Jones and Silva? No, it does seem to be that we get these um, outlier types, these guys who are just vastly superior in, to their peers for a stretch of time. Maybe not on the Jones level, but every time you think you've seen it all in combat sports, you haven't. There's always somebody coming around the corner who's going to shake things up in some kind of way. The idea that we'd have some guy who have like a, a crazy run, it might be a while until we see it again. 
that part is probably true. But uh, so so those having the advantages that they have would be harder to attain in modern MMA given the well-roundedness and raised ability. Right, fair enough. But in general, you will see it again, yes. Across all MMA programming, programming excuse me, MK has by far the best dildo content. <laughs> has legal said anything to you and BC about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They hate it. Every time we do it, they, they fucking hate it. We mostly just ignore it. We just keep doing it. <laughs> but they fucking hate it. We've had multiple meetings about it. It's uh, it's like, can you guys uh, stop showing so many dicks? And we're like, well, you know, it's part of the show. It's part of the show. Yeah, legal hates it every time. Uh, Luke, any knowledge and internal family uh, systems? Wait, any knowledge of internal family systems by Richard Schwartz? No, can't say that I do. The precedent that Endeavor and the UFC are setting is that domestic violence is acceptable if you are good at your job. He should be fired. I don't know if he should be fired, but I would say for Dana is he should be relieved of duty for a while. Um, I don't buy that he wouldn't be damaged by it. I think you would see the UFC run very effectively without him, and it would raise questions about his survivability, which ultimately he doesn't want to do. And I think also being ostracized from UFC brand would be hurtful to him, and it would be something he should be forced to reflect on. And like, yeah, I think that deprivation, that distance would be really good for him and good for this moment. And it would show that, like, dude, how does how do they enforce this going forward? Not like they really heavily do it now. They just kind of cut you if they can get rid of you, you know, and you do this like a Luis Pena or something. But like, how do they go? How do they how do they police this going forward? I have no idea. They have no moral leadership upon which to do it, and they don't have much initiative to do it. Beyond that, like like what are they? I don't even know what they're going to do at this point. And also, like if you work in Endeavor, if you work in the UFC and you're a woman, and someone very powerful harasses you or does something bad to you, do you really trust that internally? If, if the person who did it to you was very 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 powerful in the organization, that they would do anything about it? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm not telling you what UFC would do. I don't know. But like, if I worked in that organization, if my wife worked in that organization and I saw this, I would have some concerns about um, whether or not any bad actor in there who took advantage of her in some kind of way would be properly punished. Yeah, I'd have a ton of questions about it. I don't think how, I don't see how that's even remotely unfair. So I don't know what they're going to do because they've done nothing. They are going to have to deal with this again and again but i guess i you know if half or 65 percent or whatever it is the fan base being like yeah he hit her first uh, maybe it may not matter because they won't be under pressure from their own audience to do anything yeah it's a it's it's a it's a it's a mess it's a mess hypothetically your significant other starts swinging on you what do you do i've had this happen before folks it's not that hard i restrained her i restrained her and not through incredible violence risk control pressing up against the wall so I could reasonably extricate myself from it, and I left. It's not hard. It's not, and there was drinking involved. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's very easy. It's a choice to hit a woman after that. I mean, this is the whole point. Like, people are always like, well, what if she had a sword? And you're like, okay, was this a common thing where you end up with romantic failures where they have swords or something? I don't know what to tell you about that. Well, what if she had a gun? Listen. In any scenario where your life is legitimately or your safety in one other way is imperiled, you have a reasonable amount of latitude to protect yourself. Of course. I mean, no one is fucking saying the opposite. The reason why we are drawing distinction between that and what happened is it probably sucked to get slapped that way, you know, and I'm sure it didn't feel great. 
but his safety was not imperiled. It wasn't imperiled. Like that's a very shitty argument and very obviously nonsensical argument to make. Oh, his safety was in jeopardy. No, 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 of course it was not. Of course it was not. That's silly to say that. And so you have to make a judgment about what force you use in, as a man in a, with respect to a woman in that particular context. You have to have, you have to know what the appropriate level of, you are allowed to protect yourself a little bit, right? Like you can block or you can grab wrists or something like that. You don't, like, they're not allowed to just keep hitting you. Like she is due for punishment too in whatever form that could be. I mean, like, since the law didn't get involved, I don't know what it would be. I don't know if she works or whatever, but, you know, she should face some kind of punishment in life as well, but she will skate too. She shouldn't hit Dana. That was totally unacceptable. Like, you are allowed to, like, protect yourself in that way, but that's how that's how it's done. Dude, I one time had a friend. I told the story before. You guys remember my, my buddy who came back from Iraq? He had, like, a, he had like a month off and had to go back and do a second tour. We took him around. He got into a street fight here in D.C. I remember there was a guy trying to attack him, so then I jumped in. You know, I don't recommend any of this. This is all terrible. This is very bad behavior, but it popped off. So what are you going to do? And I pulled him off. A bunch of women started hitting me, like who were in that other guy's crew. And I had to just cover up and move out of the way. I didn't, didn't even fucking occur to me to swing back on them. Like, this is so not difficult to figure out. This is very easy. Very easy. Protect yourself, restrain them, and walk away. Or just walk away. Walk away. Right. I mean, you don't even have to put your hands on them for that to defend yourself. You can just walk away. But if it came to it where you really felt like I'm being hit, I need to cover up or do something. Yes. Cover up to defend yourself. If your safety is not in jeopardy, extricate yourself from the situation and go. Simple as that. Easy, 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 easy. Not difficult. Not difficult. An ugly situation. And I hope no one that none of us ever face. But like this idea, like, well, he had no choice. <laughs> Dude, you just want to hit women. If that's what you're saying. If what you're saying is, well, he had no choice. You, you, you just want to hit him. That's it. None of this shit is complicated. How do you think uh, AJ would do against UFC lightweights and what's his ceiling? I don't think that 155 has yet proven to be the best weight class for him. He hasn't fully settled into the weight class, so I'm not sure how far he would go. Against UFC featherweights, I think he would beat most of them. don't think he would beat Alex. I would love to see a fight against Max. I think Max probably wins that one, but that's a tough fight. Um, I would need to see him like another three years from now fully grow into 155 before we get to that kind of a point. Yeah? All right. Oh, let's quickly do... The last of the ones that I missed last. Whoops, that's the wrong one. Let's quickly do the last of the ones that I missed last time. And then, excuse me, we will call it a day. Very quickly, very quickly. All right, all right. Where is this? Aha, they changed the thing up. Here we are. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to get there. Okay, here we go. Jan six. Shout out from Oakville. Have fun on this weekend. Yes, very good. Luke, do you listen? Do you like Doom? I have not been able to listen to anything from but Vaudeville Villain this year. No, I, uh, you mean MF Doom? Yes, but like I'm not sure if there's something else you're talking about. Do you think that putting your phone away when in the company of family and friends is important? Yes. Do you and your wife have a plan for rules and example you will set for your daughter around this? We don't, but we should. 
Um, Ariel Helwani said that he expected Endeavor to comment on Dana's behavior, but not ESPN per se, citing that ESPN is merely a business partner of UFC. Do you think this is Ariel saving face for ESPN? No, I think it's his opinion. I disagree with it, but I think it's his opinion. And in general, I think he's right, where it's like Endeavor really is the one that should be coming down on this. But, dude, if ESPN is going to crucify Kyrie Irving for tweeting a link to a anti-Semitic documentary, which is not a great thing, but they went to the fucking mat for him or I should say the mat against him. You can't do what they did with UFC. And I understand the point is, which is that I think the UFC, uh, excuse me, ESPN actually broadcasts the NBA games and they have their own crew, which is different from UFC, which produces their own stuff and then just sends ESPN the signal. And they're like, hey, we don't produce any of this stuff. They just send it to us. It's a bullshit cop out. You're in business with them. Have something to say about it. Have something to say about it. So I disagree with him, but I don't think he's doing it to like save face with ESPN. I don't think he's got anything. He He's saying that because he believes it. Um, who would win between Makachev and Habib? Habib, what are the odds this year that Nate Diaz rising teaser just to set up some weird Floyd Mayweather rising exhibition boxing match? High, high. I think he wants to get paid, whatever that means. And then last, have you read Garcia Marquez's, um, well, Gabo, uh, 100 Years of Solitude? Not yet. It encapsulates a lot of Colombian idiosyncrasies and history you might find uh, interesting, not to mention it's a great story, Abrazo Parse, which means, uh, hugs friend in colombian slang um i think that's it i think that's it okay thank you guys so much for watching i appreciate it back next week we're gonna be home again thank god um so i'm excited about that thumbs up on the video hit subscribe as usual podcast will be up tonight y'all know how that works and then that's it for me so oh, there's one more one more last one quickly why is it that people are making a bigger deal over dana slap than john beating his wife i don't think that they well, one, it was caught on video. I know that there is the 911 tape. To me, I don't think you've heard much of a change between how I've treated John and how I've treated Dana. I think it's been pretty consistent. But in general, this is what I mean in the industry. There's just not a lot of appetite for people to like want other people to not do shit like this. So there are civilizing forces in other sports. The teams have an ownership group. They have the fans in the uh in the community with children and people of all ages and races and genders and what blah 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 they have sponsors major ones that have a public image that they have to uphold they have community leaders that are also involved like there's always this integration in some kind of way that there's a civilizing force that bears down on these other sports that while imperfect produces some better behavior or at least limits bad behavior over time those forces don't exist in combat sports. No one seems to care. The audience doesn't seem to care. The media is like half-hearted about it. Um, the power brokers don't seem to care much unless it's like really egregious. So it just keeps happening. It just keeps happening. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I see Gervonta and John as pretty fucking similar. Pretty, I mean, Gervonta is a little bit different because he's still in his 20s. But, you know, how many mistakes is he allowed to make before we're like, dude, you, you, either you can fix this or you can't. Um, we're probably already at that. Uh, we're probably already at that. You know, John, to me, it's like I was willing to give him a pass until he was 30. And then it was like, get your shit together. And uh, he just couldn't. He just couldn't. Um, we'll see what happens with Javante. And we'll see if he goes to jail and what happens with him there. But, you know, I have to cover them as athletes. And so I do. But I think you should just be honest about what the reality is about them as people as best we can ascertain. All right. Thumbs up on the video. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Talk to you guys next week. Until then, stay frosty. Yeah.